So today we get a new psalm that we haven't talked about yet. So I'm going to get a chance to reflect on this beautiful psalm, Psalm 139. This is uh, one of the psalms of David, there towards the end of the last book of psalms. And now, of course, we say one book of psalms, right? It's actually divided into five books, and this is from book five of the book of psalms. And there we have this beautiful psalm about how God is always there, always watching after us. From the moment we are conceived until even through death, God will always be watching, after, watching us and looking after us. So let's take a look at Psalm 139 now. And we'll begin uh, not just in the part that was responsorily read today, but here from the very beginning of the psalm. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. Here in these first verses of the psalm, we see the very theme of the psalm, that God is always watching after us. And he knows us. He knows our hearts. He knows our thoughts. If we're about to say something, he knows what we've said before we say it. Sometimes I've had the experience of having a prayer answered before I prayed it. Have you ever had that experience? I hear of something, I think, well, I need to pray about that. But before I even had a chance to pray about it, God answers the prayer. God knows what's going on inside of us and around us, before us and behind us, to our right and to our left. There's a beautiful prayer of uh, St. Patrick called St. Patrick's Breastplate. God within me, God before me, God behind me, God beside me. Surrounded by God, we are truly cared for, and he knows what we do. He watches us, but not in some kind of, oh, I'm keeping track kind of way, but to look out for us, to watch over us, to protect us, to guide us, to lead us. God is always with us, and he knows us intensely. And that's one of the things this psalmist writes. God knows me intensely from my inside and out. And one of the things that I think is a great truth that is expressed here is that God knows our hearts. We don't even know our own hearts. Have we ever tried to figure out our own motivation for doing something? And it gets very confusing because usually when we do things, it's not for one motivation, but for many. And it's a very difficult for us to even discern our own hearts as to why we have done something. But God truly knows our hearts. He knows the wounds in our hearts that often cause us to do things. He knows the intentions of our hearts. When we try to do something good, but maybe it turns into a flop. But God knows the intentions of our heart. Or we try to do something to show off. We try to do something good to show off so that people can see how good we are. God knows the intentions of our hearts. God knows us from the inside out. He knows us intensely. And you know what? Even though he knows us that intensely, he loves us even more intensely. I'll continue in the next verse of the psalm. Where can I go from your spirit? 
Where can I flee from your presence? This is a very astute understanding that is presented in this psalm. We've talked before, and you've probably heard me talk about in uh, in ancient times, there was a belief that there every place had a God, and God was the God of that place. And so we see when, uh, for example, when Jonah, God tells him to go preach to the Ninevites, and, God, and Jonah didn't like the Ninevites. He didn't want to go preach to them. So he tried to run away from God. He got on a boat, went away, because he thought, surely if I just leave the nation of Israel, God won't see me. He won't know I'm there. He won't be able to find me. So he tried to run away from God that way. This psalmist understood that doesn't work. Wherever you go, God is going to be watching you. And in fact, remember we talked about Naaman the Syrian who was cleansed of leprosy under the ministry of Elisha. And he says, I'm going to worship the God of Israel from now on. So give me two large jars full of dirt. He thought that if he was going to worship the God of Israel, he had to take part of Israel with him so that when he wanted to worship the God of Israel, he could stand on Israel, Israel dirt. That way he could worship the God of Israel. But if he was separated from the physical place, he couldn't worship that God. So for the psalmist at this point to perceive that wherever we are, God is with us. Now the, the little inscription of this psalm says it's a psalm of David. And if that is true, if David actually wrote this psalm, then we can see that perhaps this came from his time when he was living with the Philistines. He lived with Achish, king of Gath, and was tricking the, the Philistines into thinking he was attacking Judah, but in fact, he was attacking other Philistine cities. And so, but he was living in a place that was separated from his nation, but yet God was with him. Maybe it comes from that time. Or like we say, sometimes when it reads the Psalm of David, it doesn't necessarily mean by David, but it could mean for David or in the style of David, perhaps for the Davidic king. We don't really know exactly what that phrase always means. Perhaps it was written at a time during the exile when they were separate, when Israel had been taken into Babylon. Yet they discovered that even in Babylon, even in that terrible city that had destroyed Jerusalem, God was still there. God was still watching after them. So this is a very profound step forward in man's understanding about God. I'll continue in the psalm. One more verse. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. Sheol was the place of the dead to the, in, the, to the, in the Hebrew understanding. It was uh, what we might call it Hades. It wasn't really heaven or hell. It was like an intermediate place and all the, all the dead would go there. But there was the thought that nothing that there was nothing good in, in Sheol. Nothing. It was just a place of nothingness, a place of emptiness, a place of darkness. Remember, we did Psalm 88 not too long ago. And the author of Psalm 88 asked the question, will those who go to the grave praise you? Can those who are dead praise you? Can the shades praise you? But see, now we see again a leap forward in man's understanding of who God is. One of the things that becomes a problem as we read through the Old Testament is that man's understanding of God grew during the 1,000, 1,500 years from Moses to Jesus, that man's understanding was growing. 
So people who want to take all the Bible literally, well, then you have problems because you have things like Psalm 88 that says the dead can't praise God. Well, obviously we know the dead are still alive. We're all alive in Christ, giving glory to God all the time. So we have to understand that there is a growth in understanding. And this psalm is a great hinge piece of that growth. I'll continue in the psalm. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. One of the no, desert nomads had two great fears and one of those great fears was the sea. A desert nomad would have a, had a great fear of the sea. So the Israelites were terrified coming from a, a desert nomad background. They were terrified of the sea. But even in the sea, God is there. Even in the midst of my one of my greatest fears, God is there with me. And I'll continue. If I say, surely darkness shall cover me and the light around me become night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. That's the other great fear that the desert nomads would have. There in the nighttime, that's when the predators would come out, the lions and the jackals and all the predators that would come out at night. It was a terrible thing. When all you lived in was a tent, that could be dangerous. So the nighttime and uh, the darkness of night and the sea were these two great fears. And here the psalmist said, even in the sea, you are with me. And in the nighttime, darkness is like light to you. So even in the midst of our greatest fears, God is watching over us. God is caring for us. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works that I know very well. In the many, many passages of scripture where it talks about our relationship to God, even in the womb, even from the moment of our conception, this is one of the most beautiful to me. Even in my womb, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. How God has a relationship with us even in the womb. St. Paul mentions it. In the first reading we had today that he was called from from within his mother's womb he was called to be the apostle to the gentiles he understood that and i think all of us can come to that point where we realize that there was a reason we were created there was a reason we came into being and if we can live in fulfillment of that then we can know the true joy and strength of the lord in our lives you can come to that point and say, I am fulfilling the very purpose for which God created me. Even in my mother's womb, God had this design for me. Now, that's not predestination or determinism, but it is just the knowledge that God created for each of us a purpose. And when we fulfill that purpose, we can be filled with his peace and contentment, even in the midst of terrible troubles like St. Paul experienced so many times. Yet, he was content because he knew he was fulfilling the reason he was created. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance. 
that's a beautiful word, golmi, is the Hebrew word there for that unformed. It's a word that's used for a lump of clay that's about to be made into a vessel, into a, a chalice or into a, a wine pot, a lump of clay, unformed, but it's going to be formed. It is already being processed in the mind of the, of the potter. It's also used for land that has not been yet cultivated. So a farmer would buy a plot of land and then he would put the plow to it and cultivate it. But while before it is cultivated, it would be a gold me. It would be an unformed land. So when, he, when the psalmist says, I'm like an unformed substance, he is saying that God is shaping him he is still being shaped by God. And I think for all of us, through our whole lives, we realize God is shaping us. God is forming us into the people that he wants us to be. And so the psalmist says, I'm like an unformed substance, an unformed lump of clay or uncultivated field. God is going to make something useful out of me. I will continue. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me, when none of them as yet existed. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. I tried to count them. They are more than the sand. I come to the end, and I am still with you. You know, again, we talk about God thinking of us from the very beginning of this psalm, how intense his thoughts are of us. Jesus talks about knowing the hairs of our head, that he counts the hairs of our head. Now, the reason Jesus makes this statement is not so that we, we say, oh, good, God knows how many hairs I have, and, and he knows how many have fallen out in the last 40 years. No, but God, he's talking about but the whole purpose Jesus says this is so that we can realize how intensely God's thoughts are about us, how carefully he watches over us, knows everything about us, and loves us yet even more intensely than that. Oh, that you would kill the wicked, O oh God, and that the bloodthirsty would depart from me, those who speak of you maliciously and lift themselves up against you for evil. Do I not hate those who hate you, O oh Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred and count them my enemies. Oh, that sounds really rugged, doesn't it? Well, that's tough. Or you, you hate, you know, there are these enemies. God hates them. I hate them. That's right. But the word there for hatred, in Hebrew, sani, the word there for hatred doesn't mean so much a desire to kill, although this part of the psalm is pretty, pretty vicious that way. But the word really means a desire to be separated from. In fact, we see this in the Proverbs. It says, if, if the poor are hated even by their kin, how much more will they be shunned by their friends? You see, it's, it's a separation that the psalmist is talking about. Not a go out and hate somebody, so I'm going to go out and kill them. It's not that kind of an emotional intensity. And to explain that, I'd have to kind of go into the seven intensities of a Hebrew verb. But there is a, there is a desire to be separated from, protected from or just not be influenced by. See, when um, God spoke to the Israelites not to be influenced by the other nations around them, and in much of the scripture, especially in the earlier chapters, they interpreted that as to kill them all. 
that that wasn't really what God had in mind, but to be separated from them and not to be influenced by them. And we would do well to think of that today, that there are very bad influences in our lives, and especially among young people, not to, not to commit yourself to bad influences and to be influenced by them, but that even in love, be separated from them, so that though you care for them, you do not want their influence to influence you, so that you can be an example to help lift them up. And then come to the end of the song. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Again, is that same thought. I'll separate myself from the ways of the world, and those who had influenced me to the world, I'll walk with God, that you would lead me into the way of life everlasting, life eternal with Jesus. That's what this psalmist is looking for, the way of life everlasting, guided by the God who knows everything about him, intensely known, intensely loved, protected even in the sea or even in the night, watched over and led and guided so that we would enjoy the way of life everlasting. Let us go to God now in prayer. Heavenly Father, in our lives, help us to always keep you in mind. Goodness gracious, Lord, you keep us so in mind. Your thoughts are always towards us, to watch over us, to protect us, to guide us and lead us, to let us become more like you, and to lead us into the way of everlasting life. Help us always be mindful of you, Lord, and follow in that way, we pray to the Lord. 